0: Welcome back to the uh, Why Hockey Periodical podcast for the first time in a long time. A plan of mine that I mentioned on the show was not jinxed. I said we were going to have Kevin Woodley on the show, and we have Kevin Woodley on the show. It's great to have you here, my friend.
1: Yeah, it's good to be here. appreciate it.
0: Well, I'm glad you're here because I saw on uh, our call right before we started recording uh, a bit of a hockey smile.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I'm going to get a story out of this as well. I... Honestly, honestly, Matt, I didn't realize this. Um, but I, I think most people just, just assume because goalies wear a mask that they're safe. But goalies lose teeth to shots all the time. Uh, I found out the hard way that this happens. Uh, it, you know, obviously we're wearing a mask, but what happens is you you get a shot with enough velocity off the chin of the mask and it pushes that that sort of opening for the face, the bottom of it usually sits around the lower lip and it can drive it up into the teeth. So, um, you know, talking to a number of guys around the league with my crooked, uh, now missing a tooth smile and they asked the question and inevitably the conversation starts and I found out this is actually fairly common. So I would have preferred not to find out. I don't think the, uh, $5,000 dentist bill I'm looking at, is going to, you know, be nearly covered by the story I get out of it. But uh, hey, might as well, lemons out of lemonade or lemonade out of lemons, as they say.
0: Good stories pay, though. That's how it works. It's a yeah, the yeah, yeah. fact not, of journalism. Yeah, and, and
1: not, not 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 to pay dental bills. But yeah, yeah, I, I think, you know, um, if I was a brighter guy, I probably would have gone into dentistry. I'm on the wrong side of this equation, that's for sure.
0: I couldn't begin to describe how little I would be interested in any of that. I mean, I I took high-level biology classes in high school, and I was like, no, this is this not, not quite it. I hear now you. We all end up finding our place in life. Yes. Anyway, I'm glad we have you here. Uh, it occurred to me to get to talk to you, because last week, of course, the Panthers were through Vancouver, and you were based in Vancouver, and my co-host and I were talking about Spencer Knight a lot. We're going to focus a lot on Panthers goaltending, but we'll get to other stuff later, and it occurred to me as I was talking to him about that, that there's a lot of Panthers goaltending talk I want to get to, because for all that is somewhat the same with the Panthers, it's plenty different. So we want to get in your opinions on all of these things that have seemingly changed with Panthers goaltending. But I want to first start with this, just a simple question. When these teams roll through Vancouver, and that's when you see most of them, many of them once a year, some two times a year. And let's give Roberto Luongo and Rob Tallis as the example. What do you want to know when you talk with them? Because obviously, in most cases, you know all of these coaches, you know all of the staff that works with the goalies and the goalies themselves. But when you're coming and seeing these guys as they roll through, they make their annual trip to Vancouver. What are you looking for? Because it's going to be very different than what I'm looking for and what most fans are looking to talk to them about.
1: Yeah. And, and to be honest, it kind of depends. Uh, quite often, uh, because my access to them is limited uh i've you know i'm obviously trying to fill out my column at nhl.com my goalie column unmasked um you know you need as many voices as possible so i've usually got a list of sort of storylines i'm working on and i try and run through that and get as many quotes from as many different guys as they're hitting town so it's you know i it, it, truth is, I actually want want and would like more than I ever have time for. So I kind of balance it a little bit. Spencer's a guy we've had on the podcast a couple of times, in, including somewhat recently over at, uh, you know, the In Goal radio podcast. Um, so I, I'd done a deep dive with him in terms of, you know, where he felt his game was at, some of the keys, uh, the development process. And what he's been through over the last couple of years so for him it was more just kind of catching up talking about well actually a matter of fact one of the big topics we got into morning skate sort of no recorders running just just chatting was uh, him knocking the night or the net off in Edmonton a couple of nights previous and the absurdity of the conversation uh, that followed that Um, beyond that you know um, trying to find uh, it was blessed to get a little time with Roberto um, who doesn't typically do podcasts but has done ours now twice so we'll have that out for episode 200 and that was more just you know not so much focusing on the Panthers as just general trends around the league obviously his career and the recent accolades um, you know one here in Vancouver that I thought went uh, was a step too short frankly Uh, and then uh, with Robbie just you know, I, I did some video of Spencer doing a drill in Morning Skate, caught up with him a little bit on what they're working on, what they're focusing on with that drill so we can use it at Ingle, but just, you know, just sort of state of the union and a little bit of a catch up, not as long a one as I would have liked, but um, the the uh, aforementioned dental surgery actually prevented us from a scheduled catch-up uh, a couple of days ago. So um, still still got that planned for the near future. I'm more of a, you know, again, they're just so busy when they come through town. You, you get quick hits and quick conversations, but to really sit down with a guy and talk for half an hour, you, you're almost using the visit to set that up later because they just don't have that much time on a game day. And the Panthers didn't practice here. They were day off the day before the game and down to Seattle right after.
0: It is an interesting thing because you obviously would know all of these guys and would ask them different questions more than I ever would, because you know more about goaltending than uh, today than I'll ever know in my entire life, which is why we have you on to talk about this. Uh, I wanted to mention the Roberto Luongo thing, because when you were talking to me about setting this up, you were frustrated with what the Canucks are doing, and I didn't realize it was a Canucks thing at that point. Uh, Yeah, they should have retired his number. I don't understand why they didn't do that. Like, it's not weird to have your number retired by two teams. He means as much to both teams. And you can see that I think it was a the Hall of Fame press conference where somebody asked him, what team are you going to be inducted in as? And he said, Team Canada. So he's he's diplomatic. He's going to play it both because he knows how much he matters to both franchises. So I found yeah, that weird he, too. He, he,
1: uh, he handled it really well, as he typically does. Um, but I don't think the fan base was very happy with the decision. I, no, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if not. it was uh, Malice. I, I really just think, to be perfectly honest with you, it was more incompetence and tone deafness than it was any malice towards Roberto. I don't think it was about, you know, the cap recapture. There are a lot of people in this city that weren't happy that they got stung with a cap recapture penalty. Um, I would argue that's more about the NHL retroactively creating a rule and the Canucks not pushing back at the ownership level hard enough on it. Um, But, you know, you know, I, I found out, you know, going through that process and sort of trying to figure out, you know, how that all went down, like, not only did the Canucks have an opportunity to trade for Roberto's contract and put it on LTIR instead of him retiring and them getting stuck with the penalty, but it sounds like that may have been a suggestion of Roberto himself. So him retiring and and dinging them with a cap recapture for a couple of years, um, you know, was something he actually tried to avoid doing. Uh, but when they wouldn't step up and take the contract and and put it on LTIR. Uh, He did the Panthers a favor and and retired instead, and it cost the Canucks. That said, again, I I just think this is tone deafness and incompetence. And frankly, we've seen a fair bit of it uh, when it comes to this organization, sadly, over the past couple of years here in
0: Vancouver. I mean, they're putting a ton of fires out all at once, and most of them are by their own hand. So there's naturally going to be something that slips through the net. We could talk about the Canucks all day because uh, that performance against the Panthers, the shorthanded Panthers, was a, a gigantic yikes. But let's focus on the goaltending here. And Spencer Knight, I mean, he had a bit of a troubling game against the Jets, but that's going to happen every now and again. And he went up against Connor Hellebuck, who's on another level. But in general, recently, it seems that Spencer has taken over the number one job for the Panthers. If I look at goals saved above expected and money puck, natural stature, he's around four. And and Sergey Bobrovsky has struggled this season. We'll get to him. But We know what Spencer Knight is largely as a goalie now. I think we have enough of a sample size to say this is what he is, even if he doesn't have 100 games yet, playoffs and regular season. But because the Panthers have changed quite a bit from last year's team to this year's team, I want to know for you, what do you think's changed? Where has he improved? Where has he grown? Where does he still need to grow more? Because we've seen in some of his better performances this year, and there's been a lot more good than bad, what I think everyone has been saying about him for a very long time.
1: Yeah I I honestly think it's just a matter of experience and and the more he gets the better he'll be uh in terms of making reads um you know as a very wise goalie coach who should be in the hall of fame once told me Mitch Corn um and I always screwed this saying up you know goaltending is not uh it's not a game of shots Um, it's a game of patterns. And so it's about connecting the patterns on the ice. That's how you learn to read the game. And um, that's a process that just takes time. I think when you look at his technical package, uh, the drill that we ran, I thought was interesting enough. It was a very simple sort of drill that he used in the game day skate uh, off the post, out to the top of the crease, and then butterfly slide across for a one timer uh, from Robbie Tallis, uh, very structured very controlled but it was all about getting that back shoulder around like looking for elements to gain rotation in his movement that he knows will make him more efficient because as he said to me after I know I can make that save if I sprawl with my pad I want to get to the point where I'm making that save consistently without sprawling so that I can make the next save and I think you know, that's just one small example of the type of details that he pays attention to. This is a position, and you're seeing it all around the National Hockey League, guys that we had tabbed as stars last year struggling this season. Um, there are two things that are really hard to do. And this is actually what makes Roberto Luongo's career so remarkable. And as he told me when we sat down recently, the thing he is most proud of in his Hockey Hall of Fame career is consistency. Consistency, and and in Roberto's case, consistent excellence um you know being able to not just finish with a career 919 but you know always be around that number the very few years where he was ex- you know where he had wild swings in his play um and i think that consistency comes with you know like it's funny cuz consistency you would think could be about staying the same but the reality of the position is if you're not evolving on an annual basis as a goaltender you're falling behind, so you always have to be willing to look for new things you can add to your game. And in this case, it's not so much adding something new as just you know drilling something out that he thinks is important. Um, you know, fine tuning that technical excellence, that technical consistency that we've sort of come to expect with Spencer, uh, to make sure that he's not sprawling. Knowing that there are times on the ice where you have to go goalie nine one one and just get something in the way of the puck, but working as hard as you can to limit that exposure and make sure that you're doing it maybe three or four saves into a sequence instead of one or two. And and so I just think there's a passion there for the position. Um, there's, a, there's a mindset there too, like the way he walks away from the game in the summer and doesn't put the pads on nearly as early as a lot of other young goaltenders, recognizing the need to sort of get that mental reset because of the mental grind of the season. Uh, as Spencer told us a couple of months ago, like, you know, in a time where we see job shares and goalies only playing like 50 games and and one A's and one B's and, you know, not a lot of workhorses left. He actually looks at it and looks at the way Roberto used to play and and thinks that if he manages his body and takes care of all the details and the professionalism he has at age 21 is insane. That he could be a guy that, you know, chases a Grant fear 79 games played kind of thing. I don't think it'll ever happen because of the nature of the NHL and the trends and the way teams tend to follow them. We're going away from that. But if anybody could buck that trend, when you watch all the details he manages on a day-in, day-out basis, the maturity level he has now, and the fact that those experiences uh, are only going to make him better with time, if
0: anyone could do it, it might be him. I don't want him facing all the shots that Roberto Luongo <laughs> faced in his early Panthers days, though. Nobody does, Although the way Nobody the, 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 does, obviously, but certainly not him. I don't, go on, the way the offense
1: is going, the way there's no more defensemen that actually know how to defend, it's all about offense on both ends of the ice. Um, who knows? We could get there. It's becoming a harder and harder
0: league for goaltenders. It is definitely, and I want to get to that because there's been a lot of debate on scoring going up and all of this, and I want to focus on, firstly, though, his game and just specific things that, again, you can tell me I'm wrong and I would not be mad because I probably am. This is just things I see watching games. When I watch Spencer Knight play, I see the only area where I see him really struggle, and struggle might not be the right word, but where he seems to be gotten a little bit is these longer shots, these higher up shots. Like when you see where some of these shooters are trying to go on him, they're not really getting him low. Those scramble drills, those things around the net when they're hacking at his pads. I don't think you see a lot of those go in on him. A lot of the stuff is higher shots. I've seen it. I'm focusing on the Edmonton games because those games stick into my head. But how Tyson Berry has, what, three goals in two? Because they're just long point shots that seem to beat him. If shooters have the ability to pick out a spot on him, and it's usually higher up, that's usually when he gets beat. Is that something you're seeing or is it something that only we're seeing because it just feels like that's where the goals are going in on him right now?
1: Well, first of all, I don't watch him nearly as much as you, so I don't like to blow smoke and pretend that I've seen every goal he's let in. So I don't want to speak to trends that way. Second of all, though, I can almost guarantee you he's not getting clean looks if he's getting beat from distance high. About goalies getting beat high, you can you can basically plug that into every single goalie in the National Hockey League. And so where it becomes problematic is if you're giving up long goals, bad goals, uh, on clear sighted shots from distance and when i look at um you know spencer's season to date there you know there's clear sighted shots from distance he's only given up one on 180 so that doesn't scream like that's a low percentage shot when we get into the slot area he's given up 4 on 19 that's a little below expected so that may, might be what you speak of um but most of the time it's a function of two things like Rarely, if a guy's set in square, is he getting beat clean? If he's got clean eyes on the puck, and and the numbers tell me that that's not that often for Spencer. Like, there's nothing there that jumps out statistically speaking when I look at Clear Sight, which measures this better than anyone that says this is a problem for 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 Spencer Knight. Maybe slot area, clean looks from the slot area, but again, a lot of people would call slot high danger. We they actually don't own at Clear Sight, so those are some areas where uh, you know I need to look at the goals to to sort of break it down, but um other than that you know like his biggest statistical weakness other than slaughter has been has been breakaways uh and just giving up more than you would expect i think six on 17 full partial and half ice breakaways and that's you know that's something where i think you'll see if there is an adjustment that's the beauty if there is an adjustment he's learning guys um if there's adjustment to be made you have faith in the experience history and success of Robbie Tallis to point out the adjustments required and you have faith in in Spencer Knight's passion for the position and the way he approaches it that he's going to be able to put or he's going to want
0: to put that work in and he's going to get that taken care of seems like it but I think for me I wonder how much of this is also just the slight changes they've made to the way they defend, too, because they were a very specific kind of defensive team last year with the, the, the fluidity, the style, and they're trying to add some more things defensively this year. I say trying because that doesn't often happen, and I wonder if some of what I'm seeing is more of a function of the Panthers awkwardly transitioning to a slightly new idea of what they want to do in their own zone as opposed to last year and some slightly different personnel. I can't tell you it just, it's what I'm seeing. And maybe it's me being prepositioned to say that because I'm thinking about other things when it comes to the Panthers and the way they're trying to tactically change what they do. Well, we, we,
1: we've seen it. I mean, I've seen it here in Vancouver. Thatcher Demko didn't forget how to play goal overnight, but his numbers have taken a massive dip. Now, some of that may be an injury and a surgery that he's recovering from last year, but it's also a team that's changed how they're, how they are defending. Um, and it, it's become problematic. It's not just it's not just for the goaltenders. Um, and so maybe there's some of this going on with Maurice there as well and the changes they're making. What happens is if you think about goaltenders, like we can look at technique, we can look at all these different elements. The reality is um, a lot of the game, it varies from goalie to goalie. Like uh, there's a sliding scale for every guy in terms of how much they rely on technique and foundation and how much they rely on reads. But and, and sort of rhythm and timing and feel and all those things that come with reads. Um, but, uh, and by the way, I'm just pulling up the video on all these clear sided goals in the, uh, in the slot area, and I'm pretty sure that the Tyson-Barry one, if it didn't hit the stick, the stick took away the ability to see the release. That's why, as goalies, we hate it when guys reach out sticks because it's not whether it hits it or not. So much information, especially a guy like Tyson who can shoot it um, from the top of the circles in the middle of the ice, as soon as you're in the middle, it's more dangerous. So much of the information you gather off a release, like you are starting your save execution as that puck is off the stick. And so if a guy sticks out a stick and gets it in the way, like, like happened on that one, um, you just lose all that ability. So you're late in your reaction because you're not able to see the release because... That stick sticks out. And actually, I'm looking at another replay here, and maybe he did see it. So I don't see anything statistically there. Um, As I said, I could be
0: totally wrong. It's just what it feels like is happening.
1: And that one, and you talked about high, that one went in low. That's low over the pad. I'm also thinking of that
0: first Edmonton game where two goals were scored. I think both were power. One was power play, one wasn't. They felt like the same shot. But again, this is just me and my memory and recollection. I don't know if there's trends in it. It's just what I think I'm seeing.
1: Well, and so to go back to the way systems change So, and goalies making reads, um, so much of what a goalie does is based on, and we do pro reads at at ingolmag.com where we watch tape with goalies and they walk us through what they're seeing and their decisions they are making on depth, on save selection, uh, and all the factors that go into it. And it is actually mind-boggling how much information these guys process in real time. I'm 21 years in the league started this project with Carrie price was our first goalie to do this. Well, that's about three years ago. I thought I had a good feeling for the information a goalie processes before he makes those decisions. The reads he makes blew my mind, how much they process and a big part of it, sort of the second takeaway of this project, because we're three years into it with a, a you know, a, a save review every week with an NHL goalie. So we're what, like, well, well over 150 of these in the can. Um, is just how much of their reads in terms of how they play something, where they are on the ice. Do they take more ice? Do they give up ice? Do they drop that back leg in anticipation, You know, lose squareness purposely on the shooter in anticipation of a cross ice pass? Um, How do they play their posts? Do they use a pure butterfly save? Do they use other save selections? Do they use post integration? So many decisions, everything flying around you in real time. The amount of times a goalie said to us that he made that decision based on reading what his defenseman was going to do within the system and within the trust that had built up between him and the defenseman in the habits and tendencies of each guy. So there's two parts. There's systems play. And there's the habits of each guy's within that system, what they tend to do. Those both take a lot of time to get comfortable with. And imagine if the Panthers are changing the way they defend Matt and changing some of the elements and the reads, the defensemen and the forwards are now also trying to learn that. So there's uncertainty in their reads and the goalie's trying to read off their reads. And he doesn't know if they're going to make the ones he's making or the ones that the new system dictates, because there's variance there because it's all new, and we see we're seeing it here in Vancouver for sure. It's been a big part of the problem, um, and and I think so. So without knowing exactly what those systemic changes are, just the fact that you have a new coach and a new sort of system in place, um, it's not just the players that have to get used to it. Because so much of what a goalie does is reading off the decisions they make. And if the factors and the decisions have all changed, uh, you know, with the new coaching staff, that is 100% going to affect the goaltender's ability to read off it
0: behind it. I definitely want to get to that when I talk about Sergey Bobrovsky right now, because I think for him, I do want to get back to Spencer in a second, but on the Bobrovsky point, he has really struggled this year. And I think quite a bit of that has to do with how much he struggled when he got to Florida was a total change in system from Torch to Quenville. And then three years into that Quenville system, last year was his best season, and I think he played pretty well most of the year, and in the playoffs I thought he was very good, and now with Maurice, you're doing that all over again. And for him, I think he really needs that repeated repetition in a specific system, and the fact that now it's changed again has really hurt him. And I think... Maybe for him more than Spencer Knight, who just seems to roll, these things roll off of him, he jumped from college to the NHL seamlessly enough, but also he might be a unicorn, but for Sergey Bobrovsky, the familiarity with the system and the familiarity with the defense in front of him, I think is maybe more important than it is for many other goalies in the league, and I think this year is a good example of that.
1: Yeah, so... um i it's a tough one and I, I can't comment too much on it just because i didn't get a chance to catch up with bob here um in typical bob fashion spencer was starting on the game day where they were here and he was out there late grinding and so by the time he got off the ice the room was closing. and there wasn't an opportunity to not that he's a big talker about his game he doesn't like to share a lot of details but um it would have been nice to have that conversation i will say this as an observer from the outside. Um, that when you look, and I talked a lot about how, how technically sound and quiet Spencer is in his game and how he has that as a foundation that sort of, you know, fuels a lot of other elements. Bob's still like, I mean, he's a goalie that we do a, uh, I do a column every year, um, Christmas stuff for, for NHL.com. And uh, we alternate. Sometimes I do gifts that have sparked goalies to playing their career because getting something cool under the tree as a goalie is, always a, is, is quite often a big part of guys sort of ascension. Uh, as youngsters but this year we're doing um if you could have one skill under the tree and in your game that night around the league what would it be and i had a guy say the way bob moves around his posts like so there's a real strong technical part of bob's game um he was an innovator in a lot of these aspects and ahead of the curve and a lot of the post play stuff but he still plays a game that and i don't want this to be taken the wrong way but there's a little less efficiency than Spencer. There's a little more moving parts. There's a little more in and out. There's a little more reverse C cuts into rotation before making a backdoor push. Whereas Spencer will just create that rotation from the top down with his head, shoulder hips, drop the knee and go Bob's going to, from a lower and wider stance, you know, use that lead leg to almost make like a reverse C cut pivot, uh, and then load and push. And so, Bob's so incredibly explosive and powerful that he's always been able to succeed even with some of these parts that I think some goalie coaches would argue are a little bit of extra movement in some ways. I don't want to say wasted because he uses that C cut to build momentum into the push, which, which goes into the speed, but he relies a little more on timing and rhythm and feel because of that. Um, So that would make him a little more read reliant and there are elements in terms of the game is changing and a lot of guys are, one thing Spencer does really well is keep his feet under him. He doesn't get spread out too wide in his stance. Uh, and that's a big difference that that you will see Bob now um, get a little low and get a little wide. And, you know, it's one of the things around the league. It's a trend that's kind of going the other way because, you know, it limits your mobility laterally in a league that is increasingly east-west. Now, it it never did limit Bobs as much because of how incredibly powerful he is on his knees and moving from his knees and pushing laterally. But you got to figure as the birthdays add up that some of that physical advantage that he had is going to wane a little bit. And so I wonder if the combination of more moving parts relying more on reads because of it in a changing system, as well as a game that has gotten increasingly like 41% more scoring chances and goals from lateral plays across the middle of the ice below the hash marks. Um, Those little extra movements as time catches up, is he as explosive to the point he can get away with some of those extra moving parts. And I'll be honest, I haven't watched enough to say definitively, and that's just the reality of, trying to look around the league and, and, you know, just to be honest, I was hoping to do this before we talked, but not having 20 hours to dig into Sergei Bobrovsky tape before we talked. Um, I look at the stats, you know, slot line plays, he's getting killed on slot line play stuff across the middle. Um, And so that would at least anecdotally feed into that belief that, that that might be one of the areas, Um, you know, and it's all of them. It's high slot line, it's low slot line. Uh, you know, he's in negative numbers there. The other thing that's really hindered him, and this would speak to being a little lower and a little wider, and maybe not as effective at looking over traffic, trying to look around it because you're playing lower. Uh, he's getting killed on screens. And then the third thing is broken place. Um, you know, statistically, those are his three work worst areas this season. Um, and you know broken plays are pucks that hit bodies and skates and and again so they can catch you moving one way and all of a sudden it hits something it's worse than a rebound because at least when a rebound hits you you know where the puck's going you feel it uh when it hits a body in front of you quite often your eyes are taken away by the body itself the screen even if it's your own guy and you don't feel it so you have no idea which way it's bouncing off a shin pad or a skate or a stick and so broken plays are the toughest but if you're out further on your ice or you're you've got some aspects of your game that are you know, maybe that lateral mobility on a puck that bounces over to your left isn't quite what it used to be. Those are areas you can get exposed, and those are areas that so far this season, you know, you add them up, and that's why, I hate to even say this, but like statistically speaking, as much as it's not perfect, um, by the clear sight charts, he's having not just a tough
0: season, but um, the toughest in the National Hockey League to date. I can say after all, even if you don't understand all the goalie technical stuff that he's saying, if you just think about the kind of goals he's given up, I think of the uh, Huberto power play goal against the Flames last week. That's a broken play type goal. If you think about what he's giving up and where it's happening, all of this makes sense to me. And so you don't have to understand necessarily all of the technical jargon to say, like, just look at back at some of those Bobrovsky goals that you've seen given up, Jets game or otherwise. And if you go and you say, actually, this kind of looks like what you're saying, it makes sense, and I think a lot of the goals we've talked about the Panthers giving up this year are backbreakers. Like, they're dominating play. They have all these shots, you know, and then the kind of goal you see given up is like, oh, that can't go in, you know, or one that certainly he's going to want back, and it goes well, in and just like the kind of – but it feels like in those slot plays, like the team uh, going up against Florida generates really one great chance. It's in, and they're chasing the other way.
1: Well, it's happening
0: more in those Bob games.
1: Well, and, and maybe it is, but the reality is all those plays I described, whether it's broken plays, slot line plays, uh, or the screens, they're all high danger. So that is definitely a battle as a goaltender. That's a tough thing to do when your team is really good at the other end and dominating play and you haven't seen a shot in a while. But then the first shot you see is high danger i mean slot line and broken plays are two of the toughest plays we deal with as goaltenders some of the shooting percentage on some of those chances is even higher than a breakaway significantly so um screens a little less so but not that much right so um you know i, I outline those areas statistically it sounds like they match the eye test i can't be sure like i said i'm speculating on why that's happening to him but in terms of the mindset of a goaltender and sort of managing the expectations man it's really tough when your team this happened just up to Carolina all the time your team dominates possession at one end Carolina was a little worse in terms they didn't create quality so they basically warmed up the goalie at the other end and then all of a sudden their goalie hadn't seen a shot for seven minutes and it'd be a two-on-one a slot line play or you know something with cross ice or a broken play off a leg and those are the toughest chances you see as goaltenders and so as much as it's you say it's a backbreaker and you need your goalie to make one man like these are tough ones to make for starters and they're probably even tougher if you haven't seen a puck in five minutes
0: I feel that that's just basically what's happened to him this year is he's getting the worst of that you know that pendulum in some ways but also as I said I think the fact that they've changed some things defensively and what they're doing after three years of the same system Has affected him more than it's affected Spencer Knight, and I've always felt that since Bobrovsky's come to Florida, the changes systemically have really affected him in ways that it hasn't for others. You know, when you would see change in system tweaks here and there, it's definitely affected him. I can see the arc closing. You know, from first year in Florida to now, it's kind of similar. Uh, Just in terms of both of these goalies, both of them seem to be pretty good when it comes to just getting the rhythm of starts. And right now, obviously, you're going to play Spencer Knight more because he's just in a better rhythm, even if he's coming off a game where he's given up a couple that he should have had and would want back. How would you, we're seeing these teams divvy it up somewhat differently, but we're not in the one and two goalies anymore. If you were part of that brain trust, a very smart brain trust in Florida, how would you divvy it up? Because we've seen them try a plan, two on, one off, two on, one off. And this year it hasn't really happened because one's played better than the other. But is there a good formula or is there just at this point you have to kind of ride the hotter hand and Spencer Knight's just simply playing better right now?
1: No, I mean, I think it's, it's unique to the situation. I think that's where you lean on your goaltending staff. That's where you lean on Robbie Tallis, you know, like. Um, You know, if Spencer takes over. Spencer deserves more starts. He'll get more starts, but you have to. This is also new for him. And so there might get become points in there where you see slippage in the game because he's starting so much that he's lost that time to be on the ice with Robbie and working on the details. It's the biggest adjustment for a goalie going from backup or playing less to being a number one is you now have to spend so much time focused on your body and your rest that you lose some of the extra time you used to use in practice with your goalie coach to focus on your game. And so if you start to see some habits slip, you preemptively make sure, and and this is the reality of today's NHL, you don't get a lot of time to fix them. Um, it's a busy schedule, especially they're just coming off the road. So that's where, you know, having a game day skate where, you know, the other guy's starting and you can just go to town on a couple of details you want to focus on with Spencer, you know, that will factor into some of these decisions. Uh, The other part is just not losing Bob and that's something that they'll know better than me. And, and, you know, hopefully they're making, and I would trust just knowing them that they're making those decisions, you know, based on the right factors, you have to balance winning with knowing you're going to need both. So um you know it's there's no perfect answer here. I think you know Bob's history is to play a lot and so taking him away from that is probably another factor that we don't you know we never really realize how difficult that is for a guy who's used to being able to play his way into rhythm and and some of those elements of timing that are you know maybe his style and his system uh rely more upon so i think you got to be careful not to lose him like i think you got to make sure you try and find a start a week for him uh in this schedule at a minimum and yet if he doesn't perform in a start a week then it's really hard to stick with that because you know the eastern conference right now is a bit of a bear it's it's tough i've you know, obviously, I'm out here in the West. I, all I notice is that Eastern teams come through here and seem to steamroll. And I think we've seen that when teams go West as well. There seems to be a discrepancy between the East and the West. And that's left a lot of, frankly, subpar teams here in the West still believing that they can make the playoffs. Um, but it's a lot of it's also left a lot of really good teams in the East taking a look at that and realizing there's no margin for error. They can't afford to wait for Bob to play his way back into form. And it's, it creates a real catch-22. Edmonton's facing it a little bit with... Um, sorry, with uh Jack Campbell, there's a guy that relies on rhythm and timing because of the way he plays, feels better when he plays more, and yet they're fighting for their playoff lives and he's not playing well. So, the catch 22 is how do you find them those more games that you know will help him get better when he you know you might not get the best of them for the first couple and you probably can't afford that?
0: I think that right now, after Spencer Knight having a game against the jets where he gave up a couple where it was a little iffy that he wasn't giving up against vancouver and seattle for instance or against the oilers where he was awesome even though he they didn't win i think it might be the time just to give bob a start or two maybe the schedule like he's played really well against the red wings in his career so today perhaps maybe that's something you do i'd like to see spencer Knight get the run we all know that he's going to be the guy in the future but i think it might just be time for them to just give Wabrowski I think two of the next three or something like that just to you know try to get his confidence back and having him play teams you know he can beat because he's owned the Red Wings in his career you know playing against his old team in Columbus like maybe that gives him a bit of a you know psychological boost because they are going to need both and as you say they've lost a lot of games this year they should not have lost and that means their margin for error is definitely tighter these games coming up uh, are, are quite important.
1: Uh, Uh, The beauty is, you have a staff that you know can handle that, right? Like, that's you know, they've been, uh, I think,
0: they dealt with it even the last, like, since Zito's been in Florida, it was Bobrovsky and Drieger, and now it's Bobrovsky and Knight. So, I think this staff and the way that they have tried to do plans, you know, with whoever the coach is, like, they have that thing established, you know, and the one thing I know about them is they've, they, they have a plan with goaltending with, you know, the fact that they've drafted goalies every year, even though they have Spencer Knight. And, you know, again, they had one that was really good and then traded said prospect to get Sam Reinhardt. So it's worked out. So I know that they have a plan. It's just sometimes you wonder, you know, that plan gets altered. And I wonder if just all the change that's happened this year has um, affected that somewhat. So I want to talk as something you mentioned about these goalie stories that have blown up around the league. League League-wide, I don't want to call them controversies, but stories that have been talked about. The mask situation with Connor Hellebuck, with playing on when he doesn't have his mask and knocking the posts off the pegs, which Spencer Knight did at Edmonton. And this was after the Matt Murray controversy or controversy in air quotes. So I have to ask a goalie what you think of that because the goalies you see talking about it on Twitter and on broadcasts they're going to talk about it differently than the average fan is so what do you think about these situations that have emerged and uh where we're heading with these situations well i i
1: guess we start with the masks um the hellebuck one was ridiculous to me uh because it was contact from a player whether he was pushed or not um he was out of the play mask off and there was no imminent scoring threat so the the you know that's got to blow down. Um, I know the hesitation to uh, create a rule or call the rule that tightly that as soon as the mask comes off, you blow it. Um, Because the rule says that, you know, if there's an imminent scoring threat, you're not supposed to. Uh, Again, that Dallas game with Hellebuck, to me, that's absurd. Two passes, three passes, I think, were made after he got his helmet knocked off. Um, That's not imminent. The hesitation on the rule side of things or how it's called comes from the amount of times a goalie's mask comes off from a shot. And quite often a goalie will shake it off after he takes his shot and the buckle snap and people lose their minds when they see him shake it off. But as somebody who is currently missing a tooth from one of those shots, the buckle snap that time too. And, And when the buckles come off like that, Your mask may be on, but your vision is compromised to a dangerous degree and the mask could come off at any time. It's just hanging on by a thread. And so if you even turn your head to go make a save and it comes off as that save is that shot is coming, like you're putting yourself in all kinds of danger. So the habit, the tendency for goalies is to shake it off as soon as they feel those buckles pop uh, on a shot that hits the mask. Now, I got to be honest with you, they're probably also a little bit dazed. Some of them seeing stars, definitely some ringing. I'm not saying it's a TBI or a traumatic brain injury or, or a concussion, but like having been on the receiving end of those shots from guys who played pro and not at the NHL level, um, it stuns you. And so once you feel that buckle is popped and you know that mask is no longer on safely or securely, you're, you're, Your temptation is just to get rid of it, to let the referee know you're in danger. And so that's where people get mad and they say, you know, we did it on purpose and they lose their minds and that's why we can't have a rule change. Now, um, at the risk of losing my goalie union card here, I do think it's a little silly that this far into the process that we haven't found a new system that allows those straps to be, and those buckles to not come off as easily as they do on hard shots. Now I say as easily as they do, I've seen video of NHL testing the masks. Um, and it would probably make most people sick to see just how much, uh, reverberation it's the mask basically on impact at 80 miles an hour. And they tested at 80 and a hundred basically becomes jello. The whole thing is shaking like a bowl of jello. First time I saw it, I'm like, why the hell am I even in that doing this? Like it, it, it honestly makes you a little bit, it's a little sickening. Like the amount of impact off our heads is disturbing. Um, that said, there are ways there was a system. It was, I think it was called the Medusa strap. Uh, it was a small company that made it. I think they're, they're out of business now, but they had a strap that rather than buckling on the side of the chin, it looped through and secured on the back of the mask. So there was given the elasticity allowed it to move but it wouldn't come undone like a buckle does so if goalies are going to complain about you know the masks and people are going to complain about masks being shaken off maybe we can find a better system to allow goalies to absorb that impact on a high shot and not have the buckle break and now they're not worried about shaking it off because they know it's no longer safe and nobody has to worry about it coming off from a shot the risk and this is where you'd require testing is that would that mask still come off on Connor Hellebuck if he had that type of strap that was designed to have it not come off on a shot because he gets hit pretty good with a guy skating through his head again, not arguing that he was pushed there, but the reality is he's skating through his head in a dangerous position. And I wonder if that mask hadn't ripped off Hellebuck's head, are we looking at a neck injury and the possibility of concussion symptoms? Because instead of the mask coming off, his head just got taken that much harder to the left. So um, I think you need testing to do that, but I will say there are ways to prevent the mask from being shaken off after a high shot. And if we're going to have this discussion, maybe goalies need to, Uh, you know, consider adopting some of that technology as well. Like they they can't just place all the onus on everyone else. If we can find a way to keep the mask on safely on shots, that doesn't hurt their ability to take glancing blows from players, which is where most concussions are caused in goaltending. Then maybe that's a happy medium we need to
0: look at. That's part one. And part two is the knocking the nets off the pegs. And we've talked a lot in this about lateral movement and how explosive a lot of goalies are now they're they're incredible athletes and they're moving side to side and we haven't seen a lot of change in the pegs that are used to get the goal onto the ice or into the ice surface so we're seeing goalies do this and you can call it delay of game and time wasting if i'm using a soccer term because we are in the middle of the world cup and i'm thinking about it where do we stand on uh for you on you know knocking the nets off the pegs
1: I just wish there was more education around how goalies play the position. Um, You know, I watched the Edmonton broadcast when Spencer knocked it off against the Oilers. And uh, I I give credit actually to Louis DeBrusque, who is the lone sort of voice of reason there. I checked Twitter, all the Edmonton longtime Edmonton sports writers, not just suggesting, but like, and not just intimating, but flat out saying that he did it on purpose. Um, It's freaking absurd, frankly. Uh, I talked to Spencer the next day. Well, not the day the day off the next day. I talked to him the day after, and like he had no idea that people were even considering that. And he, he hadn't thought about it because it never even crossed his mind. That was just a goalie making a goalie move and the net failed. And that there was no malicious there was no attempt by Spencer Knight to knock that net off. None. Um, as a matter of fact, if Dreisaitl isn't checked and gets a clean one-timer away and scores into the left side of the net to Spencer's left, even though the peg comes off, they can still call that a goal. We've seen that call before. Yeah. Right. Because it's an imminent threat. And the same with the one on the Matt Murray. The only thing that the net coming off does is reduce the force with which Spencer is allowed to push. All it does is compromise the strength of his push. He's loading into that net to push off but He's counting on it, holding the same way it held 30 or 40 other times that he used it to push off in that game. Now, none of them quite as explosive. That was a bang, bang play. But as a goalie, you're counting on that net to hold you in and to allow you to make a good push. One of the Matt Murray examples, like the guy had a wide open net on the back door. If he hits the net, it's still a goal. All that the net coming off did to Matt Murray was prevent him from having a chance to push across. It was an absurd argument, and it's an absurd argument on Spencer. So how do we fix this? Um, You know, I saw in Elliott Friedman's column that a general manager suggested, call the penalty and it will change. Well, I hope that general manager is okay with his goalie giving up more goals on the short side. Uh, From sharp angles, because the way goalies are taught to use their inside leg to push up and into that post to drive that coverage to the top corner so guys can't bank it in off their masks. That's how they're being taught. And they won't be able to execute that way like they have in the past without risk of that net coming off. I hope that general manager is okay with his goalie giving up a few more on these lateral plays through the, through the slot line across the middle of the ice below the the hash marks, because coming out of that post integration position and pushing across requires the post to hold. And if a goalie doesn't have the confidence that he can push off of them or is worried about a penalty, then more of those are going to go in. And by the way, that's where we've seen a 41% increase in offense over the past five years, those exact types of plays. Um, You know, so I think the problem here is to one, the assumption that goalies do it on purpose and they don't. And two is, do we need to new, find a new standard? Listen, if, if you want to start calling that penalty, no problem. Just make sure that you can find a standard from rink to rink from period to period and from play to play after the net has come off so that goalies know how much they can push before it's going to be dislodged. Now, there are some things in Matt Murray's post play right now. He's learning something new. He's not executing properly at times. It's leaving him with his shin up against the post rather than the toe of his skate. Um, Combination, again, of learning a new way of doing it. Uh, and some equipment issues I see, he uses an elastic bungee toe tie, which gives him no margin for error going into that post. And so he slips off it and ends up with his shin on the post. And now he's in a position where he starts to use his arms to push and he's got his skate inside the net. And so when he pushes with that, it actually leverages the net up from, from a, uh, an unfamiliar angle an angle the net wasn't necessarily designed to, to sort of manage that load. So that's more of a mistake on his part. And if he's going to keep making the mistake, then then I guess you're going to have to penalize him. But there's also been clear instances within those games, like the third one on Matt Murray, the first one, again, all it did was cost him the ability to push across. I actually know goalies who have been injured. Uh, suffered lower body injuries when they go to push off a net and the net isn't secured. As a matter of fact, a number one goalie didn't make it through the playoff bubble in Edmonton because the practice rink the NHL set up for the playoff bubble in Edmonton did not have properly drilled pegs. And he ended up getting hurt pushing off the net because he counted on it, holding his body weight and he didn't. And so instead of loading the muscle properly, the net slipped out and the muscle and he slipped and the muscle was injured. So, um, the idea that the goalies are doing it on purpose is absurd because they can get hurt by it. They don't get across the ice as well by it. But the other problem is that the pegs just don't go in the same every time. Literally, literally as Spencer Knight was getting a talking to from the officials in Edmonton. If you go back and watch the replay, one referee is talking to him about it. And the other guy goes in the background, pulls the net over the hole And just assumes that the net peg drops. Doesn't check it. The net pegs come out. They float when there gets to be too much ice or water in there. And then they don't secure properly. And then when McDavid scores on a breakaway. Spencer trying to push to his left. His heel clicks the post. And the net pops up two inches. And almost comes off again. And there's people on Twitter screaming about. He tried to knock it off again on the breakaway. Which is even more stupid and absurd from those observers. But it was Clearly not on properly because well being chastised or talked to about knocking it off once, they put it back on improperly. There is no standard from rink to rink. Some have a shop back to clean out that water and clean out that ice when it pools in the hole. Others use a turkey baster, which I mean, five billion dollar league. Pretty sure we can all afford a shop back. Um, and then the officials within the game situations quite often don't want to ask the rink guys to come out and reset the peg. So they'll just pull the net over. You need to take the pegs out of the net, make sure they go to the bottom of the hole and then reset the net. Otherwise, every time from then on it could come off. It cost the Canucks a game last year where we have video of the, the official not resetting the net properly. Demko knocked it off doing what was again, just a straight out goalie move. One, he does 40 times a game and nobody says boo. And the net comes off and he takes a penalty and it changed. They were, I think they were up by one or two at the time. And it just changed. It was actually killing a penalty. I think it created a five on three and it just changed everything and cost them the game. Um, I know a goalie who went into Seattle this year and in the third period went to do his crease movement patterns at the start of the period. And he was pushing in on the post and he knew that peg had not been secured properly. As he was moving around his crease and it was a one goal game, he didn't want to take a penalty in the third period. He knocked on the back glass to ask the rink attendant to come out and double check the peg. And the guy started yelling at him because he pushed too hard and it was his fault. So clearly, we have some work to do on the standards. If you can make sure that the standards are similar from rink to rink, from period to period, by all means, start calling a penalty. But until you can, The idea of punishing a guy because one net came off more easily than the other is as absurd as punishing a player because his stick breaks. while he's shooting. He didn't know that it was compromised. He didn't know that maybe it was a bad batch or blocked a shot and there was a crack in there. And he didn't know that he's trying to score a goal. He doesn't know how hard he can push on that stick before he breaks. Why should he take a penalty? I completely
0: agree with you. I'm just, I'm, As I say there's so many parts of this that I would have never thought about, and the first thing that came to my mind as you're talking about the pegs is ice quality, you know how that's going to react in Florida in say the playoffs when it's April and it's 85 and humid out as opposed to Edmonton it's going to be pretty different, because the ice is just different in all these buildings, some buildings have many more events than others, you know, and these are holes drilled into the ice. So well, I think, I think you, there's a sleeve component. I think
1: maybe the sleeve needs to come up higher towards the surface. Although obviously you can't have it sticking out. Um, there is a sleeve. It's not just a, stri- I believe there's a sleeve in there that they drill into. Maybe I'm wrong. If not, there needs to be a sleeve. I'm pretty sure there's a sleeve at the bottom. And then I think it may be time. And again, with research, because you don't want players hurt going into the post, even with Marsh pegs, we're not that far removed from, from, um, Stephen Stamko's breaking his leg, going into a post. Mm-hmm the they should come off because then the peg is rubber. the The net should bend and come up and it should come off when needed, even if the peg is anchored at the bottom. What's happening now is it comes off, but it pulls the peg with it. And as long as it's not less safe to anchor the peg at the bottom of the hole, you know as long as that testing is done because I don't want to see players hurt either. But as long as that testing is done, then I think that might be a part of the answers. Keep the marsh pegs, even though they're 31-year-old technology, they've worked for a long time. But secure the peg at the bottom, the net will still come off, and goalies will have a threshold that they know is more consistent from rink to rink, period to period, and then they can go out there and play the game and not worry um, about getting penalized For making a move they've done like I said 20 or 30 times already in the game without any fear and all of a sudden it fails and they're penalized and it can change the game um I understand the sentiment from the GM uh but it just lacks so much knowledge uh on the on the position and so much true understanding of what's going on there and and the absurdity of assuming it's on purpose just frankly it's so absurd uh it's stupid and it makes me laugh
0: well here's the other thing that I've learned from soccer and there's one other semi soccer question I want to ask as we wrap this up is, the nets are too big the nets are too big but also how about this because i've watched enough soccer i can tell you what time wasting is and what time wasting isn't it's very obvious if you've watched enough of it and i think most of us just assume goalies are voodoo and we don't pay attention to that if you saw enough of this kind of thing happening you and every other fan whether you know anything about goaltending or not you'd be able to tell what time wasting is and what isn't it's very very clear and nhl teams are smart if they had any way to waste time and bleed the clock they would find a way to do it and they would have found a way to do it already their goalie coaches would be telling them hey try this you might get a few seconds
1: don't you think that would already happen well and then i mean and and hey like that and this is the tough part because people think it that is what's happening um and i think a lot of it is Because they never watched the goalie go into the net the 30 other times the exact same way that it held. And so they just assume it must be on purpose. So, and hey, listen, who am I to say that one or two of them isn't? Um, But from what I've seen in all the situations that led to this fear, uh, that was not the case. And certainly... Again, because there was so much attention on it when Spencer does it, like literally the rights holding broadcast other than Louis brusque is all over it. Like they're just suggesting that he is flat out cheating and on social media, longtime people that cover the game suggesting that he is cheating. And it was so absurd to him in the moment that it never even crossed his mind that anyone
0: could have thought like that's how far off that assumption is. It's just a fundamentally different way that we view the game. And that's why I will defer to people who know what they're talking about with goaltending, because if we are going to all say as media and as people who watch as fans, goalie tending is voodoo, we have to then defer to them in situations like this. Because most of them, it's hockey players, they're not going to necessarily lie about it. Anyway, one other slightly soccer-adjacent question that I want to ask is the ability for goalies to play the puck. And you kind of see it in three-on-three now. Uh, where goalies now will play the puck and kind of be used as an auxiliary defenseman. I wonder if we maybe see one day, I mean, they're already processing 10,000 different things a second, so maybe not, but do we then see a day maybe where they're starting to play the puck a little bit more uh, to say a defenseman to lead a breakout? at uh, kind of like how we see in soccer we're not just punting balls long anymore they're playing out from the back or is this something that I just have soccer brain and I'm I'm thinking about this in a way I shouldn't
1: I don't think anybody's going to pass back there unless it's in a three-on-three overtime situation and they need to get a line change like I don't know you know playing from the back and, and actually purposely like at the end of the day goalies handle the puck incredibly well um, but anytime if you're going to throw it back there like the biggest thing about getting out of your own end is transitioning quickly And so goalies, when they can get back there and stop the puck and make a quick decision, even if that decision is just to leave it for a defenseman who's got a head of steam and there's nobody to cut him off, um, that aids in a breakout. But I think the idea of, course, sort of coming up ice and then passing it back to a goalie, all you're doing is allowing the other team to reset its neutral zone defense. And so I don't see that happening, but certainly, um, and the other thing too, is even the ones that chuck it as, you know, with the best in the league, are not going to be as precise as, as most third-pairing defensemen. It's just the reality of the sticks, the equipment, um, what they train to do by comparison. It's a pretty short list of guys that can move it as precisely as an NHL defenseman. So I don't know if we'll ever get to that extreme, but we're also never going to get to the point where a guy who's really good at it, and again, that doesn't mean snapping at 60 feet. We see those plays in overtime. Nadelkovich has a bunch of assists. Um, you know, especially in the three on three where you if you can get that up ice and get it up ice effectively and quickly and make a good read, you can you can create goals, no question. Um, but I do think that goalies that handle it well, even if less spectacular, I think a carry price before injuries, uh, you know, sadly look like they'll take him out of the league for us. Um, you know, he wasn't the big long sauce guy, but subtle little chips that made sure his defensemen could transition out of their own end quickly and nine times out of 10 without having to absorb a hit on the forecheck as well uh, it doesn't need to be the home run pass it's the subtle quick plays to the right areas at the right time that you to me make a, a very good puck handler we we love the guys that go for the empty net and I'll have a story up later in the month on who I think will get one next among the goaltending fraternity but it's quite often the short passes the ability to to sort of look off a four checker to buy your defenseman time and start that transition the other way that are made quickly that are the most effective as opposed to, you know, passing it back to the guy and allowing the other team to sort of reset the way they defend, especially through the neutral zone, because that's such a such an integral part. I mean, we've seen it in the, with defensemen, right? Like defensemen no longer it used to be so routine D to D passes in your own end before the breakout. We, don't, we, we hardly ever see that anymore because every team wants quick and fast and up the ice, and by the time you do one D-to-D pass in your own end, the opposition set up their neutral zone forecheck. So anything that prevents them or makes it harder for them to do that effectively with quick decisions and quick plays is far more important than, as much as I like throwing 60-foot sauce in beer league, uh, it's not the most effective way to do it in the NHL.
0: Well, I guess maybe it's because I'd like to see a hockey equivalent to the great Twitter account when playing at out from the back goes wrong because those are really funny. If you haven't looked up those from soccer, you'll get a laugh at it. They're quite funny. Uh, we are got to wrap this up because we could talk about this for forever, but I just want to go over a couple other things, other goalies in the league. Uh, the Flyers are terrible, but Carter Hart seems to have got his confidence back. Is that just torts voodoo or something else going on? Uh, no,
1: Carter, I mean, Carter broke into the league and was exceptionally impressive. I think there was some learning curves there that frankly, some I didn't see coming some that I think he got away from some of the things and, and maybe some of it was coaching and direction at the NHL level, thinking you needed to change things because the level was harder. He didn't really need to. Um, And some, there were some other aspects where I think the changes took him away from his game. And there's some other aspects this year where he's such a technical goalie but he's learning in certain moments to just open the car doors and call goalie 911 and just throw a leg out and not have to be perfect technically all the time and there's value in that. And I think sometimes it takes you a little while in the league to sort of figure out the moments. We talked about, you know, connecting those patterns. You know, when when do I have the time to make a really good push, get rotation over to my blocker side, build my vertical coverage with a stick or with my blocker covering the pad? And when do I just need to allow my torso to pitch forward to the ice? so that that same right pad will have an extra six inches of extension because there's not enough time to make a proper push. And figuring out those moments, there's been some really nice desperation saves in his game. And the old knee would have looked at it and been like, I bet he could have made that save without the desperation. I think I've learned to understand as well as Carter has that There are times where you just, the game's too imperfect to always make perfect saves. And he's finding a really nice balance right now between the foundation that puts him in position is kind of like Spencer a little bit that foundation puts him in position earlier set square to make the game look easy but there are times where the game just isn't It's too dynamic and you can't rely on that you have to just kind of throw it out the window and and do whatever you can and Carter's found a really nice balance this year you know in a pretty tough you know yes it's torts and and all the stigmas that come with that. But when I look at it, you know, expected save percentage, um, he's not in an easy environment by any stretch this year. No,
0: that team is injured and they're bad and he's playing really well. That's why I had to bring it up because if uh, my co-host who also, as we know, likes the flyers a little bit, Carter Hart is not completely into a pumpkin and the flyers are bad. So they could get a high draft pick. It's a pretty good combination for them. And as we get you out of here, is there any other goalie you just want to talk about for something that you see? Uh, storyline that you're looking at because obviously there's a lot of goalies that are struggling right now save percentage is the lowest it's been since 0506 apparently uh is there any goal you want to talk about the oh, let's, reason
1: let's put a little uh caveat on the save percentage being the low it's been since 0506 because i write this story it seems every year save Fair. percentage save percentage through the first quarter of the season is typically lower every year last year was an anomaly it had actually gone up and then say percentage dropped as the year went on. But I do believe that was COVID. 119 goalies got into the league by far a record, many of whom were not ready for the position because guys had to miss a week when they tested positive. So I think last year was an anomaly. If you look at the years before that, say percentage two years ago at the quarter point of the season was 901, which is actually lower than it is right now. So typically teams start to defend better, adjust to the systems under new coaches. And we saw what 12 coaching changes in the off season last year. That happens after a quarter point of the season. So I am, I will agree that uh, power plays are way up. Teams are learning how to score more. Um, it's never been tougher. As I said earlier, it's never been tougher to be a goalie. And yet, and yet, I still think save percentage ends up climbing as the year goes on. Well, talk to me at the end of the year, whether it's dropped as precipitously I, I will absolutely as, as do it that, seems now. Because and, I, I want to know. And for goalies, uh, man, we could go through so many, but I'm just gonna pat myself on the back with uh with this one. Um, everybody wanted to crap all over the Toronto Maple Leafs for the Matt Murray decision. Uh, I liked it. I think Matt's adjusted numbers. This is this is two parts. The stats told me that when he was healthy, and that was a fair question, because it's already been an issue in Toronto once, but when he was healthy, his numbers over the last two years in Ottawa were just fine, especially from the second half of two years ago on. I was aware of some of the changes he made in his game of his own accord late in his time in Pittsburgh. Uh, I hear a lot of people in Toronto. I heard a lot of people in Toronto talk about Matt rediscovering his Stanley Cup winning form. But the truth is the way Matt played when he won the Stanley Cup doesn't work in the NHL anymore too low too wide too soon too often the game's way too laterally to play that low that wide that locked in the way he used to he's made some adjustments in how he trains with adam francilia out of colonna who also works with connor hellebuck and about a dozen nhl goaltenders he has his feet he's never gonna be uh, a narrow stance guy like hellebuck he's always gonna have a little bit of a wider stance but it's not nearly as wide as it was in pittsburgh Um, And I think that combined with a new goalie coach and Curtis Sanford sort of reworking some of his post play stuff is allowing you to see um, this is just a continuation of some of the changes in a very friendly goalie environment in Toronto where they're, you know, they insulate their goaltenders and on the flip side, um, he's better than he's shown so far but as much as I praise the Maple Leafs for making the move they did to get Matt Murray uh, and I, good Lord, I might be the only one that did that at the time. You Um, probably were. (laughs) I was uh, I had some questions about Jack Campbell in Toronto. And again, this isn't, this isn't a style thing, although there are elements in his game that I think lead to inconsistency and a reliance over reliance on, on timing and rhythm. Um, But at the end of the day, he had his two best seasons in Toronto and when I looked at Clearside Analytics, he graded out in the 30s in the NHL in terms of his adjusted statistics. Um, they paid him based on raw numbers, and I think the defensive environment in Toronto flattered those numbers more than the numbers I had did. And so it wasn't any brilliant observations about his game. It was just the math said this might be a tough adjustment for him, and I'm not sure why you pay a guy who ranks in his best two seasons in the 30s in the league you know, five over 25, but they did. And I don't think he's as bad as he's been so far this season. I think he'll, he'll show better for the Oilers, but I still don't love that contract just because of the numbers
0: that he brought into it. You know, what's really funny. I don't know if, if it was Dimitri saying it with you on the PDO cast or somebody else said it, but the Leafs have really changed a lot of the way they play to be far more defensive than anyone thinks because they, Oh, it's Mitch Marder, 20 points, Austin Matthews. They're actually a really solid defensive team structurally.
1: And they have been for about three years now.
0: It's funny how that works. It's funny how our preconceived notions of teams uh, plays into that. Uh, Again, we could talk about this forever. Goaltending is fascinating. And I just like listening to people talk about something in a way that I will never be able to. But I guess I could do that with uh, all of your podcasts and plugs. So please go do that again.
1: Oh, yeah. uh, Definitely check out ingolmag.com, Magazine, the Radio podcast. You can find it on wherever you download podcasts. Uh, or you can just find it at ingolmag.com If you want, actually, you can subscribe. You can get rid of all the preamble. We're almost up to 200 episodes. Luongo will be our guest for episode 200. He was he was our guest for the first ever episode. We actually did the recording in my car uh, while I was I, I drove him out to uh, see somebody, and and then on the drive back, um, we did the podcast if you don't want to listen to me and Darren Millard and David Hutchison sort of in the preamble, especially on those old episodes, because what we're talking about around the league is no longer relevant, you can actually subscribe and just get the interview. So if you're a goalie geek, you can go in and listen to I think 195 of them are up there right now, uh, just straight interviews. Some of them are 20, 30 minutes. Some of them are over an hour with some of the best names in goaltending. And if you want to learn more about goaltending and if you're not a goalie, it doesn't work for you to be perfectly honest. But if you want to become a a goalie, you want to become a better goalie, whether you're a kid, uh, a goalie parent trying to help coach your your son's or daughter's team for the first time because you don't have a specialized goalie coach. Um, we have almost every goalie coach in the National League Hockey League subscribed to us. Over 200 pro coaches around the world subscribe to InGoalMag.com and the InGoal Premium. Uh, we have drills, tips, videos, insights from NHL goalie coaches, NHL goalies, all designed. You don't have to be in the NHL to to apply these tips. The drills work at every level, and so yeah, if if your goalie will make you a better goalie. There's no other content
0: like it on the planet, so check it out at ingoalmag.com. It just so happens that some of my very good friends in hockey, one of whom happens to be a a very well-known public advocate for making hockey better, is also a goalie. I just haven't talked to Brock about goaltending all that much. It's funny how that works. Oh, well, I'd love to do that one day, but uh, there are other pressing matters, I guess, with him. Thank you again, Kevin, for coming on, and we'll talk again soon.
1: Thanks for having me.